there's, there's nothing like a dramatic event or circumstance to force us to ask important questions of ourselves. We evaluate and we ask questions like who or, or what is to blame? H- how did this happen? Could this have been prevented? Uh, could I have done something? Should, have done, should I have done something? Should I do something now? What do I do now? This week certainly qualifies when we all watched in shock and horror when a mob of people violently and destructively stormed the U.S. Capitol. The insurrection on Wednesday, the the horrible pandemic that we continue to live through, have certainly forced us to ask difficult questions of ourselves as individuals and as a collective. I believe one of the biggest questions has been, continues to be, and if it's not, should be, what is our responsibility toward each other? What is our responsibility toward each other? In the midst of COVID-19, in the midst, uh, in the wake of what happened at the Capitol, what exactly is our responsibility to each other? Whether masks or or social distancing or sacrifices made, the vaccine, um, messaging, policies, speaking and listening to the truth, violent insurrection or peaceful democratic process, I believe That question is most often the thing behind the thing. In other words, how it is answered or not matters. It's actually one of the most fundamental questions about what it means to be a human being. (laughs) Even more, what it means to be created in God's image and to be a follower of Jesus. As a member of the human family, what is our responsibility for other members of the human family? Should we just mind our own business, not care what takes place around us, let everybody be accountable for for his or her own life? Or or do we have a God-granted responsibility to ensure the well-being of others, family, neighbors, friends, even perceived enemies. Our second question in our God question sermon series addresses this very issue. As God asks us this morning, where is your brother? Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, grow us, transform us so that we might bear fruit for you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We'll now hear our scripture reading. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Listen to God's word. The man Adam knew his wife Eve intimately. She became pregnant and gave birth to Cain and said, I have given life to a man with the Lord's help. She gave birth a second time to Cain's brother Abel. Abel cared for his flocks and Cain farmed the fertile land. 
Sometime later, Cain presented an offering to the Lord from the land's crops. While Abel presented his flock's oldest offspring with their fat. The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his sacrifice, but didn't look favorably on Cain and his sacrifice. Cain became very angry and looked resentful. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why do you look so resentful? If you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do the right thing, sin will be waiting at the door ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. When they went out to the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? Cain said, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? The Lord said, what, what did you do? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You are now cursed from the ground that opened its mouth to take your brother's blood from your hand. When you farm the fertile land, it will no longer grow anything for you, and you will become a roving nomad on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Now that you've given me out, driven me away from the fertile land, and I am hidden from your presence, I'm about to become a roving nomad on the earth, and anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord said to him, It won't happen. Anyone who kills Cain will be paid back seven times. The Lord put a sign on Cain so that no one would find him, would assault him. Cain left the Lord's presence, and he settled down in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Both Cain and Abel worshipped God. They were blood brothers, both born of, of Adam and, and Eve, uh, both, their, both their sons. One, one kept livestock while the other tilled and planted the field. They both made an offering to God, Cain an offering of the fruits of the field, and, and Abel uh, a lamb from the flock. And then for reasons we can only wonder about, God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Cain didn't like that. So soon after, in a fit of jealous anger, Cain murdered his own brother. Immediately God appears on the scene and asks that piercing question. Where is your brother? I find myself asking our oldest that question a lot now. It seems like every time we look away, one of our other boys is somewhere else, wandering into the pantry, crawling under the table. Whenever I ask, it's actually because I really don't know <laughs> where one of my children is. And I need to know if he knows where they are. God, of course, knows where, God, of course, knows where Abel is. God knows exactly what happened. But beneath the surface... Of the question I ask my oldest son, and the question God asks Cain, is the hope that one brother, one person, should have some sense of responsibility for his sibling, for another person. And so the question God asks Cain and us is revealing. It reveals a God who cares greatly about how we care for 
each other. God cares that we recognize and embrace and live out of our connectedness as image bearers. Remember, this is the God who created the world, including human beings, and placed human beings at the center of this beautiful world, giving them responsibility to care for, to take care of, the Hebrew word is shamar, remember that word, to shamar it, to shamar this world. Surely that includes fellow human beings. Remember that this is the God who throughout the Old Testament commanded God's people to care for the widow and the immigrant and the orphan and the most vulnerable. This is the God who when the Israelites fail to take responsibility and fail to care for other people, speaks through the prophets and says, I detest your worship right now. Remember, this is the same God we get to know in Jesus who tells us that the greatest commandment is really two interconnected commandments. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor. Everything hinges on that. God, as the great, ultimate, divine caretaker, has always partnered with human beings in order to take care of God's human family. And so, the question then also invites us to recognize our responsibility toward our neighbors. That includes our families, our friends, our co-workers, our actual neighbors, and others we meet as we go about our daily lives. Even those that are different than we are. We are all people created in the image of God and part of the human family. As image bearers, we are relational Creatures And as relational creatures, we are all connected. So when we hear the question, where is your brother? All these people should come to mind. Even the person we don't like. We should hear God asking us, are you willing to take responsibility and care for the well-being of these people? Cain sidestepped this this invitation. When God asked him where his brother was, he had a chance to model what it was to be truly human and to live out this divine vocation of care. Actually, he had a chance to model it in the days before, in the moments before, leading up to his act of violence and destruction. But somehow, sin twisted, sin twisted his brother into an enemy, into a threat. Jealousy, fear, difference changed how he saw his brother and paved the way for his horrific act. Does it sound vaguely familiar? Only this week it was a a toxic blend of blind allegiance, white supremacy, twisted nationalism, and idolatry that turned an issue people disagreed with into people they hated and enemies they made. Here's the truth. When we don't embrace our responsibility to care for each other, that's precisely how an issue we don't agree with morphs into enemies we hate. There is no stronger foothold for sin than a disregard for others held up by fear for the elevation of self and power. There is no stronger foothold sin than standing on a disregard for others held up by fear 
for the elevation of self and power. That's why God says to Cain, watch out, it will strike. What if the people who, who, who are screaming, where's Mike Pence? Had instead heard and lived into the question asked of all of us, including them, where is your brother? Who is your brother? Who is your sister? But, but even when God asked Cain the question, he still could have said, God, I did a horrible thing. I, I killed my brother. I've sinned against you and your, and, and your family. Please, please forgive me that I might create a new path forward. But his answer demonstrates a complete and straight-up refusal to take any responsibility. I don't know, God. Am I my brother's keeper? Here's the interesting part about his answer. The word caretaker or, or keeper comes from the verb shamar. You know, the verb that God uses when God tells Adam and Eve that they're supposed to shamar or take care of God's good world. It can mean shepherd, keeper, guardian, caretaker. So it's a double irony. Cain is trying to be ironic in pointing out to God that, that Abel was the shepherd, not him. Me, Cain, the farmer, shepherding the shepherd? <laughs> Come on, God. It's also ironic because Cain is trying to distance himself from responsibility for his brother's death. And in so doing, he actually is distancing himself from responsibility for his brother's life. Of course, the answer to Cain's question is a rhetorical yes. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, actually. But I wonder how often we sidestep that question too. Where is your brother? How often we shirk responsibility for our neighbor? How, how often we forget just how connected we really are? Say, not my problem. They, they need to take care of themselves. You know, if everybody just minded their own business. I didn't cause this, so I, I don't need to do anything about it. It's up to those in authority to fix this. I'm just one person. What can I do? What we must not do, church, right now is sidestep the question, because make no mistake, God is asking it. And how we respond to that question in the midst of our trauma matters now more than ever. Trying to escape it, trying to avoid it, trying to distract from it, because it's hard is the same thing as Cain saying, am I my brother's keeper? We cannot refuse to take responsibility for what takes place in our midst or for one another. But pastor, 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 surely people need to take responsibility for their own lives. And, and what about healthy boundaries and all that? Of course, we all need to do that. And for some matters, we and we alone are responsible. No one can be, uh, can, no one but us can be accountable to the choices we make every single day. But that doesn't take away from the weight of God's question. No, the question suggests that in certain ways we are accountable for what happens to and with those around us. 
it's part of our faith journey of growing in love for God and neighbor to discern and work out what our responsibility involves. But we need to know this. Whether we acknowledge it or not, our lives are bound up together. Our actions and our words and our inactions do not occur in a vacuum. Our actions, our words, our inactions affect those around us. Every day we make the world we are living in by the choices we make. And the question, where is your brother? Our sense of responsibility and care for others should be a primary factor in those decisions and those choices. So how would we answer God right now? Where is your brother? What is our responsibility to each other right now? We need to help one another confess and accept the truth, even if it's uncomfortable. Like a friend speaking the truth to another saying, you've had too much to drink, you can't drive. We need to help one another name, condemn, confess, so that then we can repent of and reject the forces that led to what happened so that they don't serve as the fuel for our self-destruction as individuals, as a church, as a nation. Forces like white supremacy, the belief that, that white people constitute a superior race and should therefore dominate society. Christian nationalism, the unholy merging of Christian and American identity in pursuit of power where the only way to be a real American patriot is to be a Christian and the only way to be a real Christian is to be an American patriot with an incredibly narrow definition of what it means to be both. Idolatry of political ideology, unquestioned allegiance to and obsessive fixation on a particular political stream causing people to live in an echo chamber where what is true is what has to be true in order to support the ideology, even if it's a lie. The demonization of the other. The idea that people who are different from me are a threat and are my enemy. That they're somehow subhuman. We all share responsibility for one another. We need to name those things, confess those things in us and in our nation so that we can be healed. Which leads to the next. We need to understand who people different than us are. We need to understand who people different than we are, are. We need a wider definition of brother. We need to enter into the pain of people of color who once again saw white people being treated differently under the law. Yes, we even need to understand the complex fear and desperation and life circumstances of the people who broke into the Capitol and how afraid they must be that their only recourse is an unprecedented attack on American democracy. Enter into the pain of people who don't feel like they matter for one reason or another. Sometimes healing means pressing more deeply into the wound first. And finally and ultimately, taking responsibility for one another means choosing and living the more excellent way 
the way of Jesus Christ, the way of self-giving love. Where we don't just invoke Jesus' name, but we actually live like Jesus lived. Where we don't just hold up a cross on a flag, but actually live a cross-shaped life. Where we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to, to convert someone filled with hate and transform any life. Where our hearts beat and break for the same things that Jesus' did. Where I make sacrifices for you. Where you do and say things for me without expecting anything in return. Where we share one another's burdens. Where all people, no matter who they are, know that they matter. Where our hearts are moved with compassion for one another. Where kindness is spread more easily than conspiracy theories. Where peace is sown instead of violence. Where serving others is honored more than wielding power over them. Where what motivates and drives my thoughts, my actions, my, uh, my words is more than just me and my own self-preservation. Where we're committed to justice for all people. In other words, where our human flourishing, our mutual human flourishing is inextricably tied together. Where I look at you and you look at me and we see the image of God. Where is your brother? I'll close with this. Brian Stevenson tells a story in his book, Just Mercy, about a woman who embodies this. He had just won a monumental case that set two men free who had been charged as juveniles and, and given life in prison for a non-homicide crime. Exhausted, Stephen wandered the halls of the, of the courthouse where he waited for one more paper to be faxed. An older uh, black woman sat on the, on the marble steps of the massive hallway. She looked tired and, and wore a church hat. Stevenson realized that he'd seen her in, the, cor in the, the courtroom of almost all the cases that he had tried in New Orleans, uh, that he'd argued. She gestured for Stevenson to, to come over. When he did, she smiled and said, you're going to have to lean over here for me to give you a hug. Well, yes, ma'am. I love hugs. Thank you, he said, and as she wrapped her arms around his neck. She proceeded to say that she wasn't actually related to anyone in the courtroom. She just always came to help people. This is a place full of pain. So people need plenty of help around here. It's what I'm supposed to do. Turns out her 16-year-old grandson had been murdered 15 years earlier, and she had sat in the courtroom and had just cried and cried. And cried. A lady had come, on, had come over and given her a hug and let her lean on her. I didn't know what to do with myself after the trial. So about a year ago, I started coming down here. I, I guess I just felt like maybe I could be someone, you know, somebody hurting could lean on. When I first came, I'd look for people who had lost someone. Then it got to the point where the ones grieving most were the ones whose parents or children were on trial. So I just started letting Anybody lean on me who needed it. All these young children being sent to prison forever, all this grief and violence, those judges throwing people away like they're not even human, people shooting and hurting each other like they don't care. It's a lot of pain. I decided I was here to try to catch some of the stones people throw at each other. I know you're a stone catcher too, and it hurts to catch them all. I'm just going to let you lean on me right now.
Where's your brother? She knew. So as you lament what happened, as you live through a pandemic, remember the question. The next time you're trying to make a tough decision, the next time you're dealing with someone you don't like, the next time you're tempted to make someone an enemy, the next time you're trying to figure out what constitutes a priority in God's sight, the next time you're tempted to dive further into an echo chamber, the next time you get whipped into a frenzy by something upsetting, the next time you see something that is not right, the next time it would be easier and safer to be indifferent. May that question get us back on track. On the way of Jesus. And the truth that our lives are bound up with each other. Even as they are bound up in God. Amen. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.